Welcome to the TMR Podcast with your host, James Fisher, Editor-in-Chief of the Miramichi Reader Online Literary Magazine. So sit back, relax, and put a bookmark in that book you're reading, no dog-earing, and enjoy the TMR Podcast. Hi, this is James Fisher, and welcome to Episode 9 of Season 2 of the TMR Podcast. April is also National Poetry Month, and there will be a lot of poetry reviews featured at the Miramichi Reader website. Also, the first newsletter of April, which comes out uh, tomorrow, as of this recording, that will be April 4th, will be an all-poetry newsletter issue. And if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can do so by visiting our webpage and going to the menu at the top right and click on Subscribe. And there we only ask for your first name and an email address. And our newsletter comes out every Monday, typically uh, depending on where you live in Canada, um, in the late afternoon, evening of every Monday. So coming up is an interview with Helen Escott. So stick around. This episode's interview is Helen C. Escott. Helen is an award-winning, best-selling Canadian author published by Flanker Press. Her Operation Crime Thriller series has been both shortlisted and won awards, including the Silver Medal Best Regional Fiction at the 24th Annual Independent Publisher Book Awards for Operation Vanished. She has just released her sixth novel and the fourth in the Operation series, Operation Traffic. So let's welcome Helen C. Escott. Well, hi, Helen. Welcome to the TMR podcast. It's great to have you on today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And how are things in St. John's, Newfoundland? Beautiful. St. John's, Newfoundland, always beautiful, which is why I make it the center of my books. (laughs) God's country. Yes. Um, So we'll get to your books in a moment. Um, So a little bit about yourself. Have, Have you... Uh, were born in St. John's? I was. I was born in St. John's, uh, raised in St. John's, pretty much stayed here. And in my 20s, I went off to Edmonton like everybody else. And I did education there. I did uh, broadcasting and then returned to St. John's. And I just, I can't seem to get away from it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. It's home, right? It's home. It's for me, it's home. And I love it. I love the summers. I love the winters. I love the wet springs. It's Oh, Just good. It's in your DNA, right? <laughs> I guess so. If you didn't love it, you wouldn't be there, right? Exactly. Um, so, yes, you mentioned your books, uh, all set in St. John's. Um, a lot of crime thrillers. Your operation books are crime thrillers. Yes. Um, I think we've reviewed them all here at the, at the Miramichi Reader. Um, Thank you so much for that. And Oh, you're welcome. I think, I don't think I read the last one. It was kind of... Um, the Operation Trafficked. Yes. Uh, it was kind of a tough subject uh, covering uh, child um, child abduction and, uh, you know, sex slavery, things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Stephanie Collins, who who uh, reviewed it, who reviews a lot of uh, all the Flanker novels, uh, Flanker titles, I should say, uh, she reviewed it for uh, the Miramichi Reader. So, but I, I did enjoy all the other ones, Operation Wormwood, especially, uh, very interesting uh, topic. And um, so we just want to talk a little bit more about your books, how you came to be a writer and things like that. So where did it all begin? I, you know what, I have always written poems and short stories and songs. And even now I, I've got a, after my mother passed away, she gave me this trunk that she had been hanging on to for me in in her house you know since I was a kid and it was when I opened it up it was just full of scribblers of stories and you know written in pencil with bad spelling (laughs) (laughs) and everything no no autocorrect back then and uh and it was just the scribblings of a child but it was you know it's it was poems and stories and and when I went back and, and and sat down and spent a whole afternoon just reading them and I thought oh my God, like some of these are actually good. These are like, these are good. I was probably 12. And uh, and it kind of reminded me that 
writing was something, I think writing was something I was born to do, but I was forced to work to pay right. mortgages. Yes. <laughs> so I had to find other careers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of people are making money in uh, Canadian literature. No, you know what? If you're writing a book for the money, then you should close that book now and walk away. Good job. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so then from there, uh, did you like all of your books have been novels, uh, except for uh, the one on the on the uh, RCMP in Newfoundland? In search um, of adventure, yeah. Yes, and uh, I think your your first one was a bit of a uh, your comedy kind of uh, books observations yeah. of life things like that that was called i'm it was a book called i'm funny like that and it was right. an accidental book actually uh wormwood was supposed to be my first book but i accidentally wrote that book before because i was writing a blog online mm -hmm. and uh, and someone said to me you should take all those blogs and turn them into a book and i said but they're already free on the internet who would <laughs> want to buy it and they said but it's a book you should do it so i i self-published that and since then uh uh, engine books a local publisher had asked if they could um republish it to get it out to a bigger audience so i said yes absolutely do it oh great great um now speaking about uh bigger audiences i i notice a lot with um with newfoundland writers yourself ida linehan young mm -hmm. uh gary collins uh, a few others uh, they get a lot of support through Costco. Like I just noticed, you know, there's piles of your books at Costco. You're doing book signings yeah. there, like maybe pre-COVID I'm talking about. Um, I don't know. It's something I'm, I'm not seeing here in New Brunswick at all, but I think it's great there. We have a lot of support here. And this is one thing I, uh, I'm surprised when I hear that. And I've heard from a writer in, in Vancouver who told me like people don't buy local books there. They tend to go to the American writers. Mm -hmm. And but here in Newfoundland, uh, and I don't know if we're unique, but I think we're special in that way in that if I'm not doing a book signing, somebody will stop and go, is that a Newfoundland book? And I'll go, yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, give me that. I, I buy all Newfoundland books. Just, mm. They just support it. And same with the, the signings, like all the little gifts. There's a lot of little touristy gift stores that also have. Uh, now, Flanker does an amazing job in, uh, you know, the distribution of the books. They're in the Irvings. They're in uh, little gift stores. They're in mm. Chapters and Coles. Like, they're everywhere you go on the island. So in the summer, I'll do a tour, and I'll go across the island to all these little wineries and bookstores, and even Irvings will allow you to do signings. And wow. people will just come in, you know, in their cabin clothes and their rubber boots, and they're, you know, picking up their, their coffee from Irving, and they'll go, is that a Newfoundland book? Give it to me, because I need something to read the weekend. They don't even care what it is. Like, it's a Newfoundland book? give it to me. So I think it's we're special in that Newfoundlanders and Labradorians love their story and they love hearing their story and stories that are, are you know, centered here in the province somewhere. And I was just out to Gander yesterday to do a book signing at a library and do a talk. And uh, there were people there saying, we're so excited because Gander is in operation traffic because there's a scene. Now it's, you know, it's not a really great scene. It's a crime scene, yeah. but it's in Gander. And they were very happy that I had included them in this book. So just putting them there probably sold a bunch of books, but uh, they love it. And I think we are an island of storytellers and that we're unique in Canada and that we're sometimes isolated. I mean, we can go through seven day snowstorms <laughs> and not leave our house or our street. So we tend to be kind of isolated and we have that Irish, Scottish, English heritage that is all just beautifully mixed here. And our parents were storytellers. Our grandparents were storytellers. We grew up with, you know, only two channels on TV and then British TV. And so we are greatly influenced by our British background because we're, we're British before we joined Canada. So I think we just have that in our, our genes is that we want to tell our story and we want to hear our story. Yes, yes. And that, that's something I've really noticed um, as a reviewer of um, Newfoundland books. I mentioned uh, Gary Collins, yourself, Ida Linehan Young. Uh, I've read a lot of your books and uh, I'm, Gary's one of my one of my all-time favorites, even though half the time I'm not sure what he's talking about because <laughs> I'm not new from Newfoundland, but it, like he's talking about parts of, of, of fishing boats and things like that. I have no idea what parts he's describing, but 
it's it's you know it's not germane to the story but it's little details like that that yeah if you're if you're from there you'd get it but if you're not from there maybe you don't get it but the, his stories are great uh, yours of course and ida's uh, and it is you're you're um, an island of storytellers and um, i mean they're great stories but um, i'm just thinking maybe they don't travel well across canada but it depends like a lot of people have been to newfoundland and um yeah and it's the place everybody wants to go and yes. you know what like i i once had this uh agent review my stuff she was in toronto and she said uh you know i think your your books are great they're well written but they're too local you know who wants to read about newfoundland and mm. i said well you know what how about the people in new york and and australia and london who go to their broadway theaters every night to see we come from away yeah which is the story of newfoundland how about you know the cbc who's carried by newfoundlanders with you know this hour has 22 minutes and rick mercer report and yeah. you know these these are on you know republic of doyle these are all newfoundland shows written by newfoundlanders in newfoundland and so, you know, we carry the CBC <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, we, we have shows that Broadway shows about Newfoundland. So who wants to read about Newfoundland? Everybody in the world, because it's the number one Broadway show in New York. It's the number one show in the West End of London, in the theater section and Australia. Everybody wants to read about Newfoundland. I think we are the most underestimated province in Canada. Yeah, yeah. There's, I Probably a lot of truth in that, uh, Helen. Um, one other, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up since you mentioned uh, the Come From Away play. Um, last time we did a we did an interview, uh, you and I, by email for the Miramichi Reader back in 2020, late 2020. Yeah. I think it was you know before COVID really hit everything. Um, and at the end, I asked you to mention a fun fact about yourself, and you mentioned <laughs> that you just become a playwright. Yes. And so I was just wondering, whatever happened to that? Did COVID kind of put the kibosh on things or what happened? No, it actually. Um, so what happened was I found out I'm not a very good playwright. Oh. <laughs> so so oh. what I did was I used COVID and went back to university. And so I registered at Memorial University for screenwriting class. So I did a semester of that and wrote the screenplay for Operation Wormwood, uh, which is also very bad, but it taught me structure and form for screenwriting because mm -hmm. I thought if you could write, you could write anything, you know? And, it's, uh, and that's not true because it's a completely different way of writing. So I learned screenwriting and I picked up a lot from that. And then uh, I registered for a playwriting class and figured, mm. oh, I should probably go learn how to do this properly. So I did, and I learned a lot. So then I went back, and what I found was the play I had written was called uh, If It's Not One Thing, It's Your Mother, and it's a comedy, <laughs> and it's a, it's a wedding where this you know, this mother has two daughters, and the mother is very controlling, and she don't want to let go of the daughters, and the daughter is getting married to get away from her, and this poor schmuck who met her in the supermarket six weeks earlier is now getting married and he's wondering what's he doing. So it's just this big comedy of it's a, it's a traditional Newfoundland wedding where there's love and fighting and, and drinking and dancing and yeah. a whole bunch of stuff and then drama, lots of drama. And um, so I, what I learned from the courses was that, uh, and I also did uh, a couple of uh, two semesters of acting classes to get the dialogue because the difference when you're writing a book, you're, you're writing all this, you know, the smell of the room, the look of the room, what mm -hmm. the water sounds like. But in a play, you're just writing words and actions. You know, there's there's none of this. You can smell the wedding cake. It's just right. Right. roll cake. <laughs> That's it. So you only have to learn to write dialogue. So and that is a, a gift. It's a, you know, it's a skill. And so I went back to my original concept of the play that I had written and found out the concept was actually really good and it was funny. I just needed to go back and write it more professionally. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been doing. So uh, I'm still, uh, I'm doing the playwriting class now. So, and I've, we've got this wonderful teacher, uh, Bernie Stapleton, who's just this very famous actress here and uh, I'm playing movies and uh, she teaches it. So she's teaching me about all these stage directions and where to go and all this kind of stuff. And we're putting it together. So I'm actually really proud 
of the final product. It's it's just about done. We're just putting the shining touches on it now. It's just about done. I do have a local theater company, Spirit of Newfoundland, uh, who are very famous here, and they are interested in looking at it. So we may see it on a play, so or on a stage. So I'm kind of really hoping it's going to happen. But I've spent a lot of time, probably like four years now, uh, uh, doing the courses and learning the trade and writing and rewriting. And, uh, and I'm finally to a point, even though it's been irritating along the way to have to do all this and rewrite, and there's nothing worse than editing your own work. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're doing it for three years or four years. And, but I'm finally to a point where I have this product that I'm really, really happy about. And I've started to read plays, which I've never read plays before. I've always read lots of books, but I've never read a play. And through this class, there's a lot of plays you have to read. And what I'm finding out is I love reading plays. Oh my gosh, they're so they're so entertaining because you do the voices in your head, or at least yeah. I do the voices in my head. But try reading a play. I'm telling you, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I probably haven't read a play since high school. When, we, when I know, we, yeah, you know when we had to, but uh, yeah, no, I've never, I've never read a play. Well, well, when I publish recently. it, I'm going to send it to you and you can read my play. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, it sounds good. It sounds a uh, good concept. And I wish you much success in that. Thank um, you. So the, the sense I'm getting, like just talking to you about all these things, there's, there's so much available in Newfoundland. You're almost kind of self-sufficient there. Like you're talking about taking acting classes, playwriting classes, screenwriting yeah. classes. It's it's like St. John's have it, has it all, does it? <laughs> We have a very vibrant arts community yes. and we have, believe it or not, we have a lot of acting jobs here because we have, uh, well, I mean, Republic of Doyle filmed here for years. They just finished. Now we have Hudson and Rex, which is another show. It's, uh, I think they're German producers. I, I, I'm not sure I don't quote me on that, but uh, I think it's like a German show and producers who are filming here and it's that's on CTV. Uh, there is the other one, The Mrs. Downstairs. Uh, mm -hmm. with Mary Walsh if you haven't seen that they're like 10 minute shows that are on CTV you need to go search your TV for for the the missus downstairs okay. it's the funniest little short show you'll ever see and so there's a number of things being and we had just had Disney uh here last summer filming uh um uh the Tinkerbell series here they did it mm. out in Trinity so they were doing part of this huge production here so we had Disney coming. We have, you know, all kinds of movie scenes being shot here and TV shows being filmed here. And then we have a we have a lot of young people doing blogs and their own uh, their own TV shows on YouTube. And because uh, I'm always getting asked, you know, can you come do my blog? Can you come do my little show on YouTube? Mm -hmm. And there's just so much of it. And uh, so yeah, we, we really do cater to it. And Memorial University has wonderful programs, like I said, in screenwriting and playwriting. And they offer a certificate in the creative writing and a certificate in, I think it's video videography. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we, we're developing the artists and we're supporting them here too. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's and lots, amazing. lots of theater companies. Actually, the summer in August, we have the winter set. Uh, literary festival here which is a huge like I think Margaret Atwood was there last year and I think it's rumor she's coming again this year um, and they've asked me to come speak at that where they they feature the winter set award winners so you know we have we do I gotta say we we I can't complain about support here for writers yeah it sounds sounds really awesome there Helen um, it sounds like another kind of uh, like a Toronto or a Montreal kind of setup where you know there's there's just all kinds of people and support and yeah. it's, it's a real center of the arts as you said yeah that's for sure we're very lucky so um so moving on from uh playwriting and the arts there in, in uh, newfoundland uh back to your books so you've written uh six is it now i um, have there's uh you know what i have the the count of now there's there's actually four uh, in the operation series right. and there's a, a the fifth one is coming out in august called operation masonic oh my Ooh. gosh you're going to love this Ooh. book you're going to read this book uh, uh -huh. so that comes out and i did um, in search of adventure which is the history of the rcmp yes and i'm an rcmp veteran so right. uh that was just 
that came from a place of love. I normally write from a place of outrage when I'm outraged you know, about child abuse or human trafficking or missing women. I, I write these novels, but this was the first time I wrote from a real place of love because what I found as a veteran was every week I'm going to a funeral of a veteran and I'm standing there in the funeral hall and people are saying, oh gosh, remember the time he did this and he did that. And I'm like, oh my God, all these great stories. And we, I walk out going, another great story I didn't capture. Yeah. And, uh, and I write the RCP, the veteran newsletter every month. And mm -hmm. I interview a veteran every month. So then at one point I decided I'm going to interview as many as I can. And once again, it was an accidental book because I started with the, the ones that are up in their nineties yes. and would work myself backwards. And, uh, and there's only three Newfoundland Rangers left, which was our, our own police force before we joined Confederation. So I wanted to make sure I captured their stories. And uh, so out of that, every month featuring a veteran, I ended up uh, for our 70th anniversary, I said, I'm gonna do 70 stories for 70 years. And then Planker uh, Press published it. And, uh, and it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful history of not just policing, but of Newfoundland and of Canada, because you gotta remember in 1949, Mm -hmm. You know, we were we were part of we were British. We were a dominion of Newfoundland and we had joined this country of Canada. We didn't know. And we had just come back from the war. Our fathers and grandfathers had just come back from the war. So we were battle weary. And then these Mounties came from Canada and we didn't know who they were with their high boots and their breeches and <laughs> their military decorum and and we were just, and remember, we had just all come back from the war. We were like, we were British. So we had the British Air Force and Navy. Mm -hmm. My father was British Navy. And uh, um, so they were used to that, that formality of military life. And when the Mounties came, they just thought, well, my gosh, these are the most handsome, tall, you know, men that you'd ever seen. So, and and uh, they took over policing and then they took the Newfoundland Rangers in and incorporated them in and to also to their own Atlantic Establishment. So it was, uh, you know, to hear their stories of getting off the train mm -hmm. in St. John's and looking around at 1949 St. John's, the battle weary city. And you got to remember, you know, we lost hundreds of people, hundreds of men were were you know died in the first and second world war mm -hmm. and it affected so many families and there was a lot of poverty so they come off and they look around and they go oh my god where am i <laughs> where yeah. am i and hearing their stories is just so interesting to me i love hearing their stories and they're funny and they're they're scary and they're but it's just back in the day when all you had was your wits they really right. were just yeah. You know, there were no shootings. We had two Mounties who were murdered here in the province, but you know, there was no shootings. They negotiated with their, their heads. They, before they drew their guns, they they knew how to, you know, drag a guy out of a bar and mm -hmm. and just send him home to his wife and say, you know, knock it off. Yeah. And, uh, and it was just such a, a beautiful Hollywood version of our history that nobody heard because they were never allowed to speak to the media. So oh. now it was the first time they were telling their stories. And the older they were, they would say to me, like I had a guy and he's 91 years old and he said, I want to tell my story. I don't want to die and not have my story told. Mm -hmm. So you need to tell my story for me. So they wanted their story told. So it's a side of our history that you've never heard before. So are, were these uh, retired ones, were they, uh, did they retire in Newfoundland? Yes. And they stayed in Newfoundland, most married Newfoundland girls. Yeah. So they probably transferred all over and then retired back to Newfoundland or stayed here all their careers. And a lot of people, uh, the members who came here stayed, they really liked it. They, they really liked this new country, this new province. And, mm -hmm. you know, they liked the fact that they liked the people who welcomed them and shared with them. And, and, uh, you know, every, every uh, Mountie will tell you, you know, they, they go in as young men, 19, 20 years old, and they are, they're put in some boarding house where this woman just adopts them and feeds them and irons their clothes and takes care of them and worries about them and sends letters to their parents for them and stuff. And, you know, because uh, it, they just, they just became family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Now let's touch on your, your own, uh, your uh, civil servant with the uh, with the RCMP 
for many years. Yes. I was and, a civilian member. I was their communications director. Yeah. And were you always based in St. John's? Did you transfer anywhere? Or? No, always in St. John's. I traveled around a lot, but I was uh, based at headquarters in St. John's. Yeah. And so what did your job entail, like on a daily basis, for instance? So I was their communication strategist and media relations uh, director. So anything to do with the media, like when files came in, there's always a media component or an internal com component. So I, uh, now back then, in those days was also when uh, the internet was just starting, uh, Facebook and Twitter were coming. I remember being in a board meeting saying, oh, we have to get on this Facebook and Twitter. And they're like, we're never doing that, <laughs> never. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the, the young days of the internet and social media. So I did all their social media, their website, media relations, uh, any file that, uh, you know, murder investigations or anything that had a media component came mm -hmm. through me. And then I also internally had an internal newsletter, an internal website. When I retired, they replaced me with six people. Wow. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> For years, I asked for help, but they were like, no, you're doing fine. And then I retired and they have to yeah. hire six people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the saying, you'll never, you'll never know what, uh, what I did until I, you know, leave this place or how, how many things, how many hats you wore, right? Oh, my goodness. And you know what? I, I was also uh, in charge of communications and media relations when 9-11 happened. And mm -hmm. all these planes were landing. And, and, you know, that's a day I'll never forget. But it was also the beginning of of social media and the internet and people were we weren't used to finding uh people finding this you know going on the internet and it was just i tell you it was a trial by fire for sure did you have to take any um like special computer courses or social media courses anything like that i well i came from the media so i was in the media for 10 years before i took over as their media relations person and then they eventually uh, reworked the position to say communication strategist because a lot of it was really strategizing everything to do with you know their files and everything and the image and um throughout the years well with the rcp you constantly train you're never not training you're mm -hmm. you're you know i'm always you know at depot doing a course in ottawa doing a course or somewhere in canada doing a course you're constantly so i did uh you know that was the the infancy of social media. So I I did do, I think it was like a 12 week course at Memorial University in social media. And one thing about the RCP, I gotta say, was that uh, they were never stingy with their training. If I needed training, it was always there for me. Oh, good, good. Yeah, whatever training I wanted to do, I did a, a, a two year course in um, uh, internet investigation, just mm -hmm. so to be able to do research properly. And, and I, you know, skills I still use today. And, and I got to say, my it's funny how life kind of happens for you. You know, you want to be a writer as a child. And then I go into uh, media relations and then the RCMP. And there's a lot of similarities. You ask the same questions. You know, it's always the who, what, when, where, why, when you mm -hmm. are a reporter or when you're a police officer, you know, you're asking the same questions. And, uh, and so then when I retired, it was the perfect storm to become a writer because I had all that inside police knowledge, but also had, you know, the investigative side of it from the RCMP and from the media. It was really was the perfect storm of training for me to become a writer. Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, like your job probably entailed a lot of writing as it was or, or correspondence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all day long, really, you're, if I'm not in meetings, I'm writing something, whether it's a strategy about something or, uh, you know, it's, there is a lot of inside work that had to be done in the RCMP for sure. Now, um, so one question that, that sort of leads me to, you mentioned retirement and in our uh, email interview, you mentioned uh, you write a certain amount of hours every day. Those hours are set aside. Did that hold up over during COVID or did it? I did, you know what, COVID was very good to me. I gotta say as a writer, because uh, I'm very lucky in my house, I had my own office that nobody can put their laundry in or come in or use it for something else. It's this is my office and I can close the door. And during COVID, my daughter, who's in university, had to start doing university from home. So she stayed in her room. And then my husband had to stay home for a while too. 
and then but he kind of set up in the dining room so we were in different sections of the house but during covid i wrote um operation uh, uh i wrote the reckoning and uh, which is the follow-up to operation wormwood uh which was what was required and then i was also doing the rcp newsletter to kind of stay keep our veterans in in check too and and to uh make sure you know we were sending them information and keeping them up to date so then through that i accidentally wrote in search of adventure and then at the last of COVID, i published operation uh traffic so one thing i learned from the rcp is to be very regimented i need a schedule I'm very strict in my schedule. And like I said, when I retired, they replaced me with six people. So I am like a time management expert. I, I know how much time, if I say I'm gonna to speak to you for five minutes, it's five minutes because I'll have something else scheduled. So I keep, uh, I don't know if I'll show you, you're not gonna see it through there, but I keep detail lists every day of everything I have to do. Okay. And um, so I do, I'm very strict. And then I write on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I write from about normally about eleven to about four, and mm -hmm. then Tuesdays and Thursdays are the days to go do doctor's appointments and line dancing and other things I'm involved in. But I I do write three days a week, and I try to do it. And I'm fortunate in that I'm retired and I can stay home and do that. But yeah. and sometimes I'll I'll start writing ten o'clock at night, and I'll just write all night. But I am retired, so I can sleep the next day. <laughs> so um that's that's great it's i get i always got the impression you're an organized person um I, I don't know just i've known some so few in my life that are truly organized that i sort of can tell when you know someone has it has it all together and they can you know organize their time management like you said it's the secret to my success of being you you really got to say and there's one thing about being retired people will say Oh, it's not really work. It is to me. So, you know, when someone says my sister will phone at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning when I'm writing and she'll go, you're not really working. It's like, oh. you can talk to me. It's like, no, I'm working. You can call me after six o'clock at night. This is my work day. So mm -hmm. I'm very strict. I don't let, I don't let people steal my time because people will steal your time all the time. You know, it's, they'll say, oh, it just takes five minutes nothing ever takes five minutes exactly nothing yeah. <laughs> takes five minutes so do not believe that and if you say this is going to be my day and you really do have to set away set aside blocks of time to write because if you don't you'll find out three months later you're like oh i wrote that one chapter and i wish i had to stick with it and now i'm not i don't know if i want to go back to it so yeah. you really have to say even if it's just one day a week to say look on wednesday nights from seven to nine i'm going to write even if it's nothing, even if it's just research, even if it's just phoning someone to get some information mm -hmm. about what I'm writing, that's the time I'm going to write. Good. Very good. Very good. So I uh, just want to ask you, you have a work in progress you mentioned bes besides the polishing off the, the play, um, but a novel coming out? Yes, Operation uh, Masonic is the new one coming out. And this one, every other book has, uh, you know, like Wormwood and the Reckoning were about this pandemic five years before the pandemic, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that only affects uh, um, uh, pedophiles. Right. And then, you know, and, and then Vanish was about murder and missing women and traffic's about human trafficking. Masonic is about greed. It's just one of the, the seven deadly sins, and it's mm -hmm. about the greed of people and and that is because you know a publisher said to me it was not really a crime it's not a crime but it's one of the seven deadly sins and right. everybody yeah. is guilty of it and in masonic <laughs> so i center everything in in newfoundland labrador because it's just such a darn interesting place mm -hmm. and we have here uh the masonic temple uh and it's not a lodge it's a temple Right. and it was the first masonic temple in north america oh okay built here oh my goodness and you should see it it is magnificent and on the inside you go in and now it's it's uh the, the masons aren't there anymore they sold it to this theater company because it's a lot of needs a lot of work and right. it's just like it was built in the 1800s and uh and so it needs a lot of renovations it's all made of rock it's like three foot rock walls 
And so the theater company hasn't done anything with upstairs. So it's still a temple, but up on the second floor where the temple is, they have the chamber of reflections, which is a concrete room in the floor. And you have to pull up this patch and you go down in it and you think about your life and they put the hatch there and then there's a plug that they can put in and it's complete darkness and they take the plug out and give you a bit of light. And then, so it's all kinds of stuff. Wow. So this temple, is so interesting and and there's ghosts there and there's awful of ghost stories but it's built in the 1800s so there's an ecclesiastic circle in st john so what happened in the 1700s the governor who came over from britain said you know what there was lots of religions here there was you know catholics and protestants and pentecostals and, and mm -hmm. all kinds of people here so they said listen the governor said in newfoundland Anybody can have a religion as long as you're peaceful. That's the only requirement. Practice your religion, build your place of worship, but make it peaceful. That's mm -hmm. the thing. And we were the only place in the world that had that degree. You know, there was always, you, there's always Irish on one side and Catholics on the other right. side and yeah. different communities, and, but not in Newfoundland. We had that. So then in the 1800s, uh, there was a great fire that wiped out St. John's. And then they uh, had to rebuild. So they had uh, the Catholic Basilica of St. John the Baptist at the head of this ecclesiastic circle. And then down from it, there was this independent church, which is now an apartment building. And then it goes to the Masonic temple. And then it goes to a church that's called uh, Gower Street United Church. And then it goes up to St. Andrews, which is called the Kirk, which is the Scottish church. And then it goes back to the Masonic, goes back to the uh, Basilica. So it's a circle. So it's like, the you mean like an actual circle, a circle. Yeah. Basically. So it's, and they're literally you look out the window and you see your the next church. Oh, OK. Church. Right. You can look out and see it. It's a circle. So it's the only place in the world that you would see all these different religions in a circle. So why are they in the circle? They were all built by Masons. Mm. So there's also rumors that and the government house is just down the road from them. So there's rumors, there's tunnels under the city that connect these churches to government house. So a Mason could walk from government house to the Masonic temple, to the Kirk, to the Basilica without having to walk up top. Right. Okay. And, and nobody's ever found the tunnels, but everybody knows that they're, they're there, they're in paperwork, we've found them. We just, but we're talking about, you know, hundreds of years old infrastructure. So, uh, it's all these stories about it. So in the Masonic operation, Masonic, uh, the most worshipful master is murdered at the Masonic temple. And then uh, Sergeant Nick Myra from the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, my main character in mm -hmm. most of the operation books, he comes in and it's a snowstorm and he has to get in and find this body and find out who killed this guy and why. And then of course, there's all these twists and turns until the very end and you find out who killed him and you find out why. But in the meantime, you go on this wonderful ride of how the Masons completely shaped Newfoundland. And one of the, the things I, I tell people in the book is that, uh, so Joey Smallwood, who was the first uh, mm -hmm. premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, his entire cabinet were all Freemasons. Mm, okay. Every one of them. So mm. it it was just, it's just such an interesting ride through world history that that kind of accumulates in St. John's and how we had this incredible structure here that I don't know if people even know that this, they call this the Lost Temple. Okay. The Masonic Temple here is called the Lost Temple. Wow. Or the Lost Cathedral. Wow, I'm I'm excited to read this one now. It sounds it's I can see you're excited and I'm excited now too. <laughs> well, if you ever come to St. John's, I'm going to take you to the Masonic Temple <laughs> and you're going to walk through it and it's just it's unbelievable. They have a Mason, it's a theater company there now that has a Spirit of Newfoundland has this dinner theater there now. And they say lots of times they'll hear the piano playing, they'll go in the room, there's nobody in the room. And they had this Mason, this elderly Mason who shows up every other month and he goes upstairs to talk to his friend because there's ghosts up there. And it's, and when they do, uh, whenever this uh, theater company 
does any type of uh, uh, updating to the building, they find things held in the walls and they found a complete outfit of a Knights Templar in the mall. In the wow. mall. I know. And what people don't know, this is something I found out through the book, which I didn't know, which is going to excite you. We have 36 Knights Templars in St. John's. Really? I know, right? Wow. I know. It's like I thought these guys died through the Crusades. Yes. But it's not. So in the Masonic Order, there's different degrees. And as you go up, you go, you get to a certain degree and you can be a Shriner. And then, okay. you know, there's, there's other, you can't be a Shriner unless you're a Mason. So uh, it goes up. So at the top of the level, the top of their pyramid is Knights Templar. So there's a lot of guys who get up there. So yeah, there's 36 mm -hmm. Knights Templars here. So if there's ever another Crusades, we are totally protected. <laughs> <laughs> we got this. <laughs> well, we have a Masonic Lodge here in, in Miramichi, but I don't know how many are you know how many are masons but like i said it's, it's a lodge it's not a temple yeah but, uh, well until you get in the lodge you have to be a mason yeah 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 wow wow that's I know, so how interesting is this right who would have thought all this wonderful history is here and in, in in this you know coming over from england and and uh it's just amazing right there yeah. it's so exciting i get so excited and you can do the ecclesiastic uh, walking tour here in the summertime too it wow. starts at the basilica and this wonderful uh, historian, uh, his name is uh, um, uh, John Fitzgerald, uh, and uh, he gives the tour. And he is—he uh, was trained at the Vatican. He's a—he's a layman, a civilian, but he was trained. He did a lot of his training in England and at the Vatican. And he is like—he is my history expert. When I need mm -hmm. to go and say, "Hey, listen, has this ever happened?" and he'll come back and off the top of his head, and he gives the tour. And when you go into all these churches in the ecclesiastic circle, he can point out all the Masonic uh, symbols that have okay. been carved into the walls and the furniture there. Wow. That uh, uh, just blow your mind. It's so interesting. Yes, it sounds great. And it's great you can uh, incorporate all that into a book too. Yeah. So there's, so there's going to be a, a, another, uh, a, uh, another uh, what do I want to call it? Another operation in the book. another operation book in the series, and uh, you're going to continue that series for the foreseeable future. Or? I I am. Um, I don't think I could ever let go of the. I got attached to my characters. Yeah. And I find myself talking to Sergeant Meyer all the time, and that's how we have the best uh, dialogue in the book is we continue the conversation. And I find I find writing the last two chapters of a book is harder than writing the first 30 because the first 30 you're going through the story and you're keeping it going but you're in the last two chapters you're saying goodbye mm -hmm. to, to your characters i have to let them go so it normally takes me a lot longer to write that last chapter mm -hmm. when we have to close the door on our friendship for a little while so i think there'll always be an operation book but i am looking at other things i i like to get away from uh, crying for a little mm -hmm. while I'm yeah. thinking about doing a true, a true crime, actually. Oh. And uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, true crime books that I'm looking at and considering. And uh, one I'm really interested in, I may do. And there's another one I'd like to write a love story. I'd like to like get away from crime and murder and killing people yeah. and actually go into a, a love story. Just kind of give my brain a break. And yeah. then, uh, you know, Sergeant Meyer will always be waiting for me. Oh, great, great. Great. And I love true crime too, because there's, you know, there's so many that you can draw from, you know, there's yeah. all kinds of crimes out there. And if you go look into the background of these people who committed them and what happened to them and the, the legal system they have to go through, it's, and it's fascinating too. Oh yeah. And all my books are, are based on true crime. Like my operation series, they're all based on true crimes because I'll have readers who read them and say, you know, that story sounded really familiar to me. I was like, did I, I knew, I knew that from the media and I'll, you know, so they are based on true crime and mm -hmm. readers get that familiar to it, but I would like to really go in and I've got this idea that I really like for a true crime book that I think I'm going to focus on next fall. Oh, good. Good. So yeah. more to look I'm forward. I'm never not writing. 
I'm, I'm just never not writing. My husband says to me, why don't you take a month off? Like when, and I go, yeah, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a month off. I'm going to stay in my pajamas every day. I'm going to watch <laughs> HGTV and I'm going to do all these renovations. I'm going to clean out those closets. And then it's like, and then I'm watching HGTV and on the second show, I'm sitting there going, I should yeah. be writing, I should be writing something. Oh my gosh, I have an idea. And now I got to go write it down. Yeah. And before I know it, eight hours is gone and I've got a chapter. <laughs> oh, good. Well, for your fans, if I speak your, for your fans, we prefer you write than watch HGTV. <laughs> Thank you. I do too. You know what? I, it's not a chore to me. It's not work. Yeah. Like I've had people say, you know, oh God, writing for eight hours is so hard. I, I actually like it. I like being in that world. I enjoy being in the world. I, I love, uh, you know, my imagination is probably the biggest gift my childhood gave me was, yeah. you know, to be able to, to go into this world fully and, and to be happy in there. And I'm going to be like one of these Disney movies some days where I just walk into my book and I don't go around. <laughs> I'll be like this magical Disney movie yeah. someday about me. And, uh, and, I love doing that. I love writing. I just, I love telling the story and there's, there's nothing better than writing a chapter and going back to read it and then go, God, that's good. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. I'm so happy with that. It's just such a great feeling. And then, you know, when you finish the book and it's published and you go into the publishers and they, they give you the book. And when you, you hold the book and it doesn't matter if it's your first or your fifth or your sixth. It's when you hold a book, it tingles. Yeah. It, it tingles. And it's it's like the it's it's like giving birth to this amazing child that exactly, of, yeah. of your, your imagination. It's just it, it the book actually tingles when you feel it. And that's the only way I can explain it. It's it's like you feel it and it goes through your arms and it's just you just get this incredible feeling to say, you know, thank you, universe. Thank you for this. Just this yes. gratitude comes over you for this. It, there's, there's no feeling in the world, like holding the book you wrote. Right. Right. I guess yeah. I, I can't imagine, but I, I enjoy watching, you know, when they get the delivery of their, of their author copies and they do in the unboxing and they hold yeah. up the book and they're so happy, you know, and yeah. it's great. I love seeing that. I love it. It is exciting, I tell you. It's so exciting, and you know, for young writers or who are listening, young authors, that you know, plug away at it, plug away at it. There's no such thing as a bad book. Uh, I love every book. You know, it might not be my genre, it might not be my story, mm -hmm. uh, but I do. And and you can't be a good writer if you're not a good reader. Yeah. And you have to read lots in order, you know, it's like anything. If you want to be a good plumber, you have to upgrade your skills. You have to constantly, you know, what you could do, you know, in the sixties, you can't do now it's all right. digital. So yeah. it's the same with writing. You can't write if you don't upgrade your skills. And the only way to do that is, you know, through courses, uh, acting, I found really helped me write dialogue better yeah. and reading. And I actually just started rereading uh, some of my childhood favorites, the Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. uh, I happened to be in a used bookstore in uh, uh, Victoria. We're out in BC uh, to visit my grandkids. I went to, I love used bookstores. And I went in and I found this whole bookshelf of Agatha Christie. And it cost me an extra I mean, 50 bucks to bring my suitcase back because I had all these Agatha Christie books. And Dorothy Sayer is another yeah. good one from my childhood uh -huh. who I loved. And I forgot how much I loved them. And I started to read. I read the whole, uh, started to read Agatha Christie and then I'd go to Dorothy Sayer. And these are women, you know, who, who grew up in 1920s, 30s and 40s England. And, you know, as for one thing, as women to make it as crime mm -hmm. writers was one thing but you know this is the day before you know these days before being able to google things you had to go to libraries you had to talk right. to police officers you had to do the work just like you know to be just like police officers did mm -hmm. so these women who wrote such amazing intelligent well-told stories that are still being told today i mean agatha christie's uh, books are still being turned into novels and mm -hmm. she is i think she's outsold everybody but the bible Okay, probably. You know, and still to this day, the, the top selling book in the world is always the Bible. The second is an Agatha, Agatha Christie. So to this day, she's still doing it. So that tells you this is a master that you should learn from. 
So I went back and started rereading as many of her books as possible. And it really made me think because you don't know who the killer is until right. the yeah. last page. Mm -hmm. And in mo a lot of books you read, you know who the killer is right away. And you just follow the story, but you don't in Agatha Christie or Dorothy Sayer. And I, I like that you don't in mine either. You don't know till the end. It's never obvious. Right, right, good, good. Well, I'm gonna um, leave it there. This has been a great conversation, Helen, really appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, Flanker Press does a great job of, of uh, producing your books. Uh, covers are always striking. Um, I really love, uh, you know, getting your books and their, their titles uh, sent to me to review. And uh, they've always been very supportive, too, for, uh, of the Miramichi Reader, like right from the very beginning. They, I call them the dream team, you know, for, for Margot and Jerry and Nick and Gary and, uh, and Ed Olford and, and Peter Haynes. They... they are so good you know they really do they they it, this the family business it's their life and mm -hmm. uh and they really do nurture their authors and get them out there like i said we're in it we're everywhere and yeah. they're everywhere they they work hard they really work hard yeah yeah that's obvious so uh, once again thank you helen and i'm gonna let you go enjoy the rest of your day and i uh, appreciate you taking the time uh out of your out of your time managed schedule to talk to us here at the at the Miramichi Reader Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. And you're in St. John's. We're going to tour the Masonic. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I look forward to the book too. So when did you say it might be coming out? It's coming out in August of uh, 2022, this summer. August 2022, this summer. Good. Put it on your fall reading list. Yes. Look forward to that one. Okay. Thank you again, Helen. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Allison Manley. I'm the librarian at the Miramichi Regional Hospital and one of the Miramichi Readers contributors. You're listening to the TMR podcast. Thank you so much to Helen Ascott. That was a great interview and it was great to spend time with her. So I'll put a link to uh, her books at uh, Flanker Press on the uh, podcast website. Links to our homepage at the Miramichi Reader and where you can subscribe, as I mentioned earlier, to our newsletter. And if you wish to support us in any way, that would be excellent. You can do so by sharing this podcast, uh, leaving a review where possible to help others find it. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, take care. Remember, April is Poetry Month, so read some poetry. Bye-bye for now. TMR, the Miramichi Reader. Canada's best regarded source for the finest in new literary releases. Visit miramichireader.ca.